Y'all didn't catch that. We had a youth choir this morning. A lot of young people up here. Starting over here with Miss Mary Ann and working our way right around. All right. All right, one announcement I forgot. I told y'all. I mean, when I say, is there any other announcements, you're supposed to speak up. But anyhow, if you got tickets, uh, fish fry tickets that you have not been able to give away, please bring them back in by Wednesday so that we can disperse them. Unless you know somebody that you're going to be able to give them to, bring those uh, on back uh, by Wednesday, okay, so that we can give them out. Uh, and if you give them all out, that's wonderful. But if you still got some, I'd just like to make sure we keep an account of them, okay? All righty. Well, let's get into God's Word this morning. So I sent you an email on Thursday, and the title of the message this week was Losing Life to Save It. And that's a little bit of a, a complicated scenario, but what it means, losing life to save it. We'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, and verses 18 through 27. So this is some pretty important stuff to me this morning. When I was reading this passage of Scripture and talking with Patty about it, just kind of understanding, trying to get a, a handle on it, trying to figure out what it is that God wants to, to tell us in, in this scripture, what Jesus is actually talking about. It's very important to me. So something that I was, would really love for you to do, and you don't have to do this, just something I really would love for you to do is, is try to, to remember one takeaway from the message. And you just think about it, one takeaway. You, you might not have time to do that. You might not be able to, to read, you know, read into what I'm saying. But if you can just remember one takeaway from this message, it would be great for you just to be able to say, hey, Brother Kerry, I, I, I didn't know that, or I didn't know that, or that was really something that was reinforced. It just kind of helps me to know whether or not that, that the word's getting out and that, that you're grasping. But I'd love for you to just to jot down one thing in this message that you feel that speaks to you, how God's going to speak to you. So this morning we'll be in, in Luke 9. Starting 18. So throughout the, his earthly ministry, Jesus made some pretty important and some pretty specific instructions on how Christians were to live and how followers were to live, how people that, that followed him who, who were going to uh, proclaim the word of God, who was going to uh, share the good news of Jesus Christ. He gave us a lot of instructions about how we should act, how we should do, things we should say, what we should do. He gave direction. He gave guidance. He gave commands. He provided light in a dark world. I mean, Jesus had a specific ministry. It was strong for three years. Even up to that, it had, a, it had a significant ministry. But his ministry was strong, and he was constantly teaching. He was constantly telling us things that we needed to do. When we read the Bible, we see that he instructed his followers to make disciples. Man, we have spent some time on that one, the, the Great Commission. Jesus said to make disciples, to go out into the nations, to make disciples, to baptize believers, to teach the unteachable, to teach those people that the word of God to teach them what how much God loves them to teach them the things that he wanted them to know to preach the word to be a witness to people to let our lives be a witness to be a reflection of Jesus Christ the light of the world he instructed us to do a, a lot of things to show the love of God to tell people the good news to show people how much God loves them what he was willing to do for them he wanted us to teach them all this he said he wanted us to Love our neighbor. And they want us to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your minds. Amen? And we talked about that over the last year. We've talked about all these things about what Christ wanted us to do, how he displayed his love, what he did when he walked on this earth, all the things that he wanted his followers to do. These are specific instructions that he's given us. It looks like it might be a hard task. I mean, God give us a lot of things that we have to do to be a follower of Christ. Will you think about it? Hey, this list goes on and on and on. While this list may be lengthy, 
It's not all that Jesus commanded his followers to do. Man, he gave some specific instructions, and, and some of them were pretty complicated. He used some pretty uh, extensive words, and he challenged us on a lot of things, things that you might think that that's just out of reach. But he also used some pretty simple words. He used simple words to move people from where they were to where he wanted them to go. Where, where am I going with that? Simple words. We've talked about that. We're, help me out. What words did Jesus use to move people from where they were to where he wanted them to go? Two words. Anybody? Follow me. me. Those are some simple words. Follow me. But boy, they take a lot of commitment. But that's the two words that Jesus used. Some pretty simple words. Jesus often used the two words, follow me in his ministry. Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'm going to make you something that you are not. Man, he took people out of their, their fishing boats. But think about it. We'll just look at it. These two words, while they're straightforward, also have words that require significant commitment in life. There's a commitment attached to the words, follow me. There's a commitment to the words attached, make disciples. There's a significant commitment that's attached to this. Commitment, how important is worship in God's house to you on a regular basis? Man, you think about the commitment that we have to put into to be in God's house to worship on a regular basis. Well, let me tell you something. This week, I got a text, and I'm specifically going to talk about this text as far as just for a brief section about Someone who says, I don't do organized religion. How do you respond to somebody that says, I don't do organized religion? And that's not in my message this morning, but it just hit me that I wanted to to say something about it. Is that okay? I don't respond or I don't do organized religion. Well, let's think about that goes with commitment. What do we want to do? God's word says that we should come together, that we should encourage one another, that we should worship together, that we should lift up and glorify his name together. That's why we come together, because relationships are so important to God. Relationships are important to us. Let me, let me give you an analogy about marriage relationship. Don't show up at a marriage relationship and see how long it lasts. Only show up at a marriage relationship every once a week. See how long that one lasts. Amen. It's commitment. That's the thing is God's word wants us to come together. He wants us to encourage one another. He wants us to strengthen one another. He wants us to grow in a relationship with each other and with him. And that's why it's so important. This is a commitment. These words are significant, but they require significant commitment. And it's considerable that we take that serious today. Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, John out of a fishing boat. He said, follow me, and I'm going to make you something that you're not. I mean, you think about these four men were fishermen. They were professional fishermen. Tyler, do you think about that? They caught fish every night. They went every single night fishing. They were professional fishermen. He's going to make them. He's going to change their lives. That's what's important. When God calls us, when he says, follow me, his intention is to change us. It's to change us from something that we are to something he wants us to be. And he intended to change these four men. He called Matthew out of a tax collector's booth to change his life. He wanted to change Matthew's life. He wanted to change his focus from money to service service from what he thought about himself to thinking about others. Matthew had a pretty cushy life. Matthew had money. Matthew didn't long for anything in his material possessions. He didn't long for food because he had the money even though he was taking it from his own people. But Jesus called him to change his focus from himself to others. And this is pretty important. The words of Jesus, follow me, equals change in a person's life. 
Man, it's a, it's a commitment that he puts out there. It's an invitation that he puts out there. Follow me, but it's going to result in change, and it's going to result in commitment. But change does not take place without a cost, and it costs to follow Jesus. Amen? There's a cost involved in this. There's a cost involved in following Jesus. This morning, we're going to open up God's Word and look at what Jesus described as the cost of being his follower. And if you were able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Luke 9, starting in verse 18, says this. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who did the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Let me stop right there just for a second. He says, Peter answers, God's Messiah. Not just the Messiah, but God's Messiah. You need to pay close attention to the fact that is God sent. That he's the messenger that God sent. He's the Messiah that come from God. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. Saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes. Be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself and loses his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into his glory, and that of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. If you go back three chapters in the Gospel of Luke, we'll see that Jesus prayed all night before he selected his disciples. Before he chose the 12 disciples, he prayed all night. You think about it. Jesus goes to the God in prayer. He's going to select 11 disciples that he knows is going to follow him. We know that God knows all things. We know that Jesus has the same characteristics of God. That he knows all things. He knows he's got to select 11 that are going to follow him. He knows he's got to select one that's not going to follow him. He knows he's got to select that one who's going to betray him. But Jesus prayed all night on that behalf. He was in constant communication throughout his ministry with the God the Father. Amen? I mean, he prayed all the time. That's why prayer is so important. But we know that Jesus prayed all night because of that. Christ was in constant communion with the Father. He prayed with a a focal point in his ministry. He wanted direction. He wanted guidance from the Father. He wanted to be in God's will. And we know that in this passage of Scripture, he prayed and sought guidance, guidance before asking a critical question to the disciples. When you think about it, he is addressing the disciples in this this, uh, passage of Scripture. 
It's not time for the general public to know who he is. They will know in due time who he is, but right now he's asking a question, and it's a comparison question. It's a comparison. It's the same question, but it's comparing what people think he is, what people know about him, who people think he is, versus what the disciples know. And it's very important that we understand why he's asking these questions. The crowds of people could have their opinions about Jesus, and that was fine. Man, some thought he was Elijah. Some thought he was John the Baptist. Some thought he was one of the the ancient prophets that had came back. Some just had speculations about who he was, but they did not truly know who he was. He had not revealed himself to them. They didn't know who he was, but they would know. Now we look at this. But the disciples must be clear on their conviction, their commitment, and their faith. These disciples had been with Jesus for the last three years, most of them. They had been sitting under his teachings. They had seen miracles. They had seen the functions of Jesus. They had listened to him. And you think about it, their commitment had to be on board. They had to be on board with what he was teaching. (coughs) Their faith was going to be tested. Man, it was going to be difficult before long. These disciples were the ones that Jesus had called out to follow me, the ones he had given that that task to at the different eras. He would told them to, to follow him, and that's what they were supposed to do. Most of them had been with him for three years. Their loyalty was about to be tested in the coming days. When you think about it, when you look ahead in the Scriptures, and, and Easter's coming, and the best part about Easter is resurrection. Amen. But there's a lot of things that take place before the resurrection. There's a lot of things that happen before the resurrection. God is is speaking through Jesus Christ, but when you look at Christ, Christ is talking to the disciples. They're about to be tested. They're about to go through some pretty serious stress in their life. They're about to have some pressures placed on their life. You ever had any pressure placed on your life? And you think about it, Peter just said, you're God's Messiah. But what happens to Peter over the next several days? What happens to all the disciples when Jesus is arrested? What happens to them? They scatter. They scatter. Even even Peter denies him. And that's what's going on. He knows there's pressure going to be placed upon him. Last week, we talked about the difficulty of being a prophet. We talked about Jeremiah. We talked about God's will and how Jeremiah responded to God's will initially because of the difficulty. It made brief mention about Jonah, how difficult it was for Jonah to be a, a prophet. The fact that a prophet had a tough task. Well, let me tell you something. Being a Christian is just as difficult. Following Jesus is difficult at times. The disciples did not really understand what Jesus was, who he was. They said he's God's Messiah, but they didn't truly understand who he was until he was resurrected from the dead. Amen? We got the, we got the, the angle. The thing is, is we have, we have the, we're after the resurrection, so we understand the resurrection. The disciples are dealing with something that takes place. They're trying to understand who Jesus is. They're, they're hearing him. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing things that take place that, that can't be for anything other than God, but they still have some, some hesitation in their understanding, but they truly understand who he is after the resurrection. Jesus is extending that same invitation to follow him to all of us today. He's basically saying, follow me. Follow me, and I'm going to make you something that you're not. Man, that's the thing we want to do. We have uh, our own lives. We have individual Appearances. We have individual things about us. We have things that we like to do and other people like to do other things. But God's calling each one of us. He's basically saying, follow me and I'm going to make you something that you're not. But when we think about this invitation, when we think about the invitation that God shares to us to follow me, do we truly understand 
the commitment that is required for following Jesus. Do we truly understand? We say, well, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to follow Christ. Well, that's an that's a awesome thing, and we want to do that. But do we truly understand the requirements that Jesus is going to lay out for us? And we're going to look at that in verse 23. Do we fully understand that how we have to respond to the invitation and how he wants us to respond? In verse 23, listen to this. If any of you follow me, you must do three, three things. If any of you follow me, you must do these three things. You ever looked at this past scripture and said, I'm not sure I understand exactly what that means. Let me be clear. There's a cost of following Jesus, but the cost is insignificant compared to the benefits of following Christ. Let me tell you something. In medicine, in medicine, and, and I can, all these medicine people can help me with this, but in medicine, you don't prescribe a medication unless the benefits outweigh the risk. You don't do a procedure and a surgery unless the benefits outweigh the risk. And the answer to that has to be yes. If the benefits outweigh the risk, then you consider it or you do it. If the benefits don't outweigh the risk, then you don't do it. All right, listen to this. The benefits outweigh the risk every single time in following Jesus. The benefits of following Jesus superior to the risk of not following him. Amen? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. It may not be easy. It may not be popular. But the benefits outweigh the cost of not following Jesus more than you can imagine. Verse 23. Following Christ requires three things. First, you must give up your own way. You must deny yourself. That's what it says. That's what Jesus says. You must deny yourself. That's the first thing. The second thing, you must take up your cross daily and follow him. Well, that's, some, that's the, the difficult thing. We don't understand. What does it mean to take up my cross daily? Man, I got this first part. You said you must deny yourself. Well, I think I understand that. Taking up your cross daily, I'm not sure I really know what that means. So we're just going to move on to the part that says follow me. And I'll just be a follower of God, Christ. Well, let's, let's, let's break all three of these commandments down. Let's break all three of these things down because I want you to truly understand what Jesus is trying to tell us to do that we have to do to be a follower of Christ. Let's look at denying self, uh, giving up your own way. Jesus identified what it would be like for believers to identify with him. This is the path of true discipleship. Man, this is the path of being a disciple. This is a path to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. These are the things we have to do. Now, it's not as complicated as you might think it is. And the more you look at it, the easier it's going to be. The one who wants to follow God's Messiah, which is what Peter said, must deny himself. That means placing the glory of Jesus Christ ahead of our own. Well, Kerry, that sounds pretty easy. I can do that. And I can, I can place God ahead of my own. Giving up my own way means saying no to what I want and saying yes to what Christ wants. What, what do you mean? The things I want, i got to say no to? Only when the things that Jesus says yes to them. If Christ says yes to it, then you should say no to it. If it's something that I want. Now, God is not going to say that you shouldn't have the desires of your heart. That's not what he's saying. But when it competes with what Christ wants for us, then there's a problem there. That's where we have to understand. Jesus has the right to rule over my life. After all, he is King Jesus. Amen? And I'm a servant. Amen? Have I ever taught y'all or told y'all that that the, the role here is service? That the role of a Christian is service, that we're to be servants, right? What are we doing Saturday? We're serving. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to take care of. I'm a servant. He's the master. He's King Jesus. So when he applies his lordship and leads me in a certain direction, I do not resist. I do not wrestle with it. I go, I do, and I obey. Amen? And I just follow him. When you, he's not going to lead me bad. I taught you a week ago, we said, and I showed you the scripture. God says he only wants the best for us. 
He doesn't want anything bad for us. In Jeremiah, we talked about 29.11. He only wants the good things for us. That's what he, he says. He doesn't want us to lead us in any path of destruction. We all have a desire to be successful. Man, we all want to be successful. That's a, a human instinct and desire. A successful Christian life is a direct result of obedience to being a Christian. It's a, a successful Christian life is a direct result to us being on mission with God and be a, a follower of Christ. I say no to what I want because he is in charge. He rules my life. I obey him. I acknowledge that he has the right to rule over me. He is not only my Savior, but he's my Lord. Amen? He's the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord he's in charge. That is very simple to deny in yourself. It doesn't mean you're going to miss out on the pleasures of life. It doesn't mean you can't have pleasures in life. But it, we, we deny ourselves from worldly pleasures because we want to make sure that Jesus says yes. Let's look at the difficult one, taking up your cross. What in the world does that mean? These words have a strong meaning in, in the days of crucifixion. Man, taking up your cross was a very significant word. Being the cross was a significant word. They still have significance today. Back then, a con- convicted criminal would be forced to carry a cross beam, which is a, a piece of timber that would be attached to the vertical beam for the execution, for the public execution. When they were condemned, from the place that they were condemned, they were given this beam that they had to tote. They could tote it on their shoulders. They could drag it. They could do whatever it is. But they had to get it to the place that they were going to be executed from where they were condemned. It was a, a very difficult situation. Criminals would leave the place of condemned. Uh, given the piece of timber to carry on their shoulders, they would drag it. They would carry it all the way to the execution site. And when you saw somebody toting or dragging this piece of timber, you knew it was a one-way ticket. It was a one-way path that they were about to give up their life on a public execution site. You knew that their time was about to be over. There's even more to this. Let's think about this. The subject in the, these verses talks about death. And we don't like to talk about death a lot, but in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is making it clear about death. He's talking about his physical death, and he's talking about us giving up our, our own, not physical death, but death to ourselves from an understanding that we need to turn our lives over to him. Take up your cross daily means to die to your own plans, dreams, and desires. Well, does that mean I can't have any plans, dreams, or desires? That's not, that's not at all what he says. It does not mean that you should not have plans, dreams, and desires. It simply means that they should not be the number one priority in your life. That your plans, your dreams, your desires don't control your life. That Jesus Christ controls it. That he emphasizes your plans, dreams, and desires. And he helps you with them. But they, do, they don't take control of your life. They're not your God. God the Father is your God. You turn everything over to him. To die to, uh, to the pressing demands and to our own physical cravings. Is to put to death all of your selfish arrangements. And living so that Christ is in control. It means making him the one that's in charge of your life. And that's, very, that's simple enough, isn't it? Man, it just means turning it over to God to take up my cross daily. This is something that we have to do every single day, not just one time, not just when we come to know the Lord. This is a, a daily issue that we have to deal with every single day. All of our focus has to be on Jesus. Let's look at the last one, following Jesus. To follow Christ is living according to his agenda, which is a visible manifestation of the rule of God in every area of life. When we look at verse 24, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of Jesus Christ, because of my sake, this is what Christ says, will save it. The dedicated commitment of Christ results in God's abundant life that he gives us now and that he gives us in eternity. And let me tell you something. We were not created 
for this life. We live in this life. We have a, a time in this life. We have a, a, a certain amount of days that will be on this life. We have things that we have to accomplish in this life. We need to be on mission for God throughout this life. We need to be sharing the gospel. But we were not created for this life. We were created for something much greater, which is eternity. Jesus made it clear in the, in the fact that when he's talking about God's eternity, it's completely different than what we think about it. He says, true profit comes from giving away your life for his purposes. I mean, you give it away for me, and you'll save your life. That's where we want to focus on this morning. Those who strive after world's power, wealth, success, and values, which is worldly pleasures, are going to lose their life and neglect their spiritual lives and forfeit everything that God has for them and they'll, they'll, they'll not get what God wants from in this life, nor in Christ's returns. Let's look at the Bible. The Bible's clear. Those who reject the call of true discipleship and who are ashamed of Christ, is what he says in his word, will lose out on the glorious recognition given to true disciples. We're not saved uh, from our sins because we follow Christ. We're not saved because we follow Christ. We're saved because we believe on the one who paid the paid the sacrifice and play the sin debt for us that's why we're saved after we become children of God and we become disciples that's what takes place when we come to Christians when we become believers we become Christians we become disciples and when you think about the word disciple the closest word to the word disciple is that of apprentice and that's that's more of a, a student more of a learner somebody that's it's in training when you look at the disciples they were apprentices they were students in training that Jesus was was ministering to them a disciple is more than just a student learning from lectures and books he is one who lives on a daily basis on a hands-on daily basis with his teacher he's grasping all the knowledge that he can get from his teacher and let's look at this too many Christians are content with being listeners and just gaining a bunch of knowledge when you think about it but they never put their knowledge into practice when you go back and you look at in the scripture let's look at a few things that are important in the Roman world, the cross was a symbol of shame, guilt, suffering, and rejection. And we're talking about the cross. It was shame, guilt, rejection. There could be no more despicable way to die, and there could be no more painful way to die. It was the worst way that a person could die. I mean, it was a, a slow, agonizing death. In the Roman world, the cross was a symbol of shame, guilt, and suffering. Crucifixion was not mentioned in general conversation. You just didn't talk about it. Because it was bad. It was, it, was, it was the worst thing that you could go through. People would no more think of wearing crosses around their necks than we would think of wearing an electric chair around our necks. You think about it, it's different now than it was then. Things are, are different. Today the cross is the focal point of a Christian belief. Man, we understand the cross. When you wear the cross now, it's because you understand what the cross represents. That Christ went to the cross to pay the sin debt for each of us. It's a little bit different today. Today's cross is a focal point. It represents the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. But here's the thing. A lot of people wear the cross as a necklace and they don't truly understand what the focus of the cross is. They wear it not understanding what it means because it has significant value. Jesus laid down some stern requirements for discipleship. We must say no to ourselves, not simply for the pleasures and possessions, but to self and then to take up our cross daily and follow him. That means we are to be identified with him through surrender. 
We're to be identified him through obedience. We're to be identified him with the sacrifice that he made. Now, we're not going to have to sacrifice our bodies because there's a once and for all, once and for all lifetime sacrifice that Christ made for all sins. But we have to be associated with him. We were created in his image. We have to be with him. We have to understand who he is and we have to place our trust in him. This is kind of a relationship. When you think about this, the Christian relationship with God the Father, the Christian lifestyle seems to be kind of what people that are not Christians consider to be foolish. It seems to be like a, a waste of time. And you, uh, they call it holy rollers or Jesus freaks or just people who are wasting their time. When you think about it, you go all the way back to the disciples. Man, people accuse the disciples of throwing their lives away. I mean, you're going to give up your livelihood. You're going to give up your source of income. I mean, you've been uh, fishing, you're catching fish, you're making money, you're providing for your family, you're paying all your, your taxes like you're supposed to pay. You're going to give all that up and walk with Christ. When you think about the disciples, not only were they giving up their income, they were placing themselves in a, sig- a certain amount of danger just associating with him. And that all comes to, to, uh, to events that happen because they're events of the disciples associating with Jesus most of them ended up being martyred as a result of that. I mean, they were in a certain amount of danger. They, they thought this was foolish. But to the Christian, this is wisdom. To the Christian, this is our lifestyle. To save your life is to lose it. And how can a person ever get it back from a worldly standpoint? To save your life from a worldly standpoint, investing in the world, trading out for the things of the world, how can you ever get it back? You look at that. But give your life to Christ is to save it and to live it to the fullest. If a person owned the whole world... If they were the most rich person in the world, now in the whole world, they could never, they'd still be too poor to buy back their lost soul. If they traded their soul, they'd never get it back, no matter what the issue would be. Let's look at this. Discipleship is daily discipline. We want to be disciples for Christ, but it means taking up our cross on a daily basis. It's not just a Sunday ritual. We have to follow Jesus one step at a time, one day at a time, and our motive is always to glorify the Father. It's a hard job being a Christian, amen? It can be very difficult, but it's what Christ has called us to do. The one thing that we can count on is the fact that he's called us to follow him, but he said, I'll go with you every step of the way. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll walk with you every step of the way. The journey is awesome. I mean, you can't have a better journey than walking with God the Father. God loves us so much that he desires to have a a relationship with all people, and he's offered heaven as a free gift. And heaven is a free gift that God's offered us, and we don't earn it. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good works to earn it. There's nothing we can do to, to get it. God's graciously offered us a free gift through Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Man's a sinner and can't save himself. There's no way we could take care of the sin debt that we had to take care of. It had to be a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ made that sacrifice for us on the cross. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation between us and God. And we can't get to God because of sin. And he can't get to us either. He had to solve the problem by sending a sacrifice to take the place of of the sin debt, to remove the darkness, to remove the obstacle between us so that we could have access to him. And he did that through Jesus Christ. We have salvation through Christ alone and eternal life as a result of that. Romans 10, 13 says this. This is my favorite verse in the scripture. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you stand in life. The social platform that you stand on doesn't matter. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll make you a child of God, and he'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Friends, when our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And eternity is too long to be wrong. We'll either spend eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all those that have gone on before us that know the Lord, or we'll spend eternity completely separated from Christ in, in hell, away from the creator of the universe. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I urge you to clear that up today. In a moment, we'll have a hymn of invitation, and I'll be down front. I love to talk.